history can be found anywhere, even in your own backyard. So join us as we search the land, looking for the stories that helped shape this nation. Come on the porch, grab a drink, and join us for a little bit of history from the homestead. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the History from the Homestead podcast. I am your host, Thomas Carroll, and please join me today as we welcome the wonderful Elizabeth Shope. She is a park ranger at the Allegheny Portage Railroad National Historic Site and the Johnstown Flood National Memorial. She has been with the park since 2014 and has a background in American studies, so Hello, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having us. So this is this is an extra special one because today happens to be we are recording and releasing today in one shot. It's the 189th anniversary of the railroad's opening. Yes. So the Allegheny Portage Railroad opens March 18th, 1834. And so it's as you said, the 189th anniversary of the opening of the railroad. And this system um, was part of the Pennsylvania Mainline Canal and the Allegheny Portage Railroad was the final link to the Pennsylvania Mainline Canal. And um, it's interesting um, how they got to that point. Um, Railroads were very much in their infancy in America at that time and canals were the preferred method of travel so they, they thought about a few different ways to get over the Allegheny Mountains, one of those being a turnpike road. Um, there was already one of those in the area. Um, and that didn't help solve the state's goal. The goal of the state of Pennsylvania for the Pennsylvania Mainline Canal was to move people and goods faster. In New York State, you have the Erie Canal and uh, people are bypassing the port city of Philadelphia because it, it takes so long to get across the state about three weeks by wagon. They talked about digging a canal through the mountains, but one estimate said it could take you know, 30 years until it would be ready. So there's almost a sense of urgency because the rest of the mainline canal, um, you know, is about ready to ready to go and we need to figure out how to get over the Allegheny Mountains. So, you know, this final final link was was a great day for the state because now you can travel continuously from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, and it, the the train cars were carrying a very important item and that was bacon. Ooh, bacon. <laughs> Everybody loves bacon. And it it's to me as far as national parks goes, it's not big. When you think of national parks, you think Yellowstone. But to me, it's one of the more unique parks because you have everything, everything in the area, canal, railroad, inclined plains. It, it, it's quite a marvel for its day, how they got up and over the mountain. Yes, it, you know, it was an engineering marvel of its day. It, it's always amazing to me to think about what they did you know, in the 1830s with the tools that they had available to them at that time. So, you know, hand tools, a lot of, a lot of hard work. I always say it's one thing to say, you know, this is 
a way to get over the Allegheny Mountains. You know, we're going to use an inclined plane railroad, but to actually build it and make it function is is amazing. Yeah. And we're our our guide for the show, we're kind of following along like the actual path from Philadelphia towards Pittsburgh. So we'll we'll start off with the canal. And that ran from Columbia PA, which is just west of Philly, clear to Holidaysburg. That's that's quite a trip on a canal boat. It is. So the entire trip from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh was almost 400 miles. Um, there were two parts railroad, the Allegheny Portage Railroad being one, and then a stretch of railroad section um, in Philadelphia. And the whole thing took about an average of, of five days to go across the state. And that was the fast new way to travel at that time. Um, I mentioned earlier, it took about three weeks by wagon. So people were really excited about the yeah. main canal. You know, and I, I think of of people who had traveled through Pennsylvania previously. Um, there's an account of people talking about, you know, we we went through Pennsylvania. It was very long. It took three weeks. And then when they made a return trip back through Pennsylvania, now it only took five days. So if you were traveling at that time where, you know, it was, it wasn't complete when you were going across the state west and now it's complete when you're coming back east. I mean, that must have been, that must have been really, really amazing. And how the, the, the canal boats, how big were these on average? They weren't exactly small. They weren't like your little pleasure boats. Yeah, so like 19th century canal boats, you know, 50 to 70 feet long, um, you know, filled to, I don't know if capacity is the right word, but they definitely tried to, you know, make the most out of the space in the canal boats and, you know, it's, it's a, yeah you know, money-making operation too. So we want to, you know, put as many people, uh, fit as many people as we can on the boat for the trip. So it costs about $12 to travel across the state from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. Um, so. Which to us, that doesn't sound like a ton, but to them, that was a, an and, average and, worker's several months wage at least. Right. And, you know, some of the, the laborers on the Portage Railroad, you know, making up, you know, dollar, dollar fifty a day. So that, well, yeah, yeah, the, the $12 is, could be quite expensive. You know, now how did they, how did they move the boats along the canal? Were they like the other ones? Did they use horses and stuff? Yeah, they used the, the mules um, being pulled along the canal towpath. Which that's that's even just impressive to think about because then you had to clear the clear any trees and brush away from the side of canal for you said about four hundred miles worth of canal trip. Yeah, the the, the whole the whole mainline canal about four hundred miles. But yes, I mean just in how many how many teams of animals you would need. You know, you you can't have the same mule going. Yeah you know, the whole way. So stopping to rest, um, switching them out. So, yeah. But I think for the, the, the people traveling, 
there are accounts of, you know, people just talking about how beautiful Pennsylvania was, you know, just the scenery. I mean, I think it, I, I would love to go back and, and it, experience it would know, be a fun, lot of yeah. these little towns before they really grew up. And a lot of these towns did, you know, population boom because of the mainline canal, this big transportation system coming through coming through where they live so you know lots of jobs available um, so. and and that makes a good point because my next question i was going to ask was did you know the boats did they have sleeping areas on them or did the passengers stay at like hotels or or, or boarding houses or, or what have you along the path yeah so they did have sleeping arrangements on the canal typically that was a a, a plank board that was attached to a wall. Um, so um, Charles Dickens is, you know, perhaps the most famous Allegheny Portage Railroad traveler, and he wrote an account of his travels um, in a book called American Notes. His first trip to America was in 1842. He traveled on the railroad and, and the canal, and, and he actually talks about the the plank boards and kind of like rolling himself into onto the the board and you know he's looking up and he sees you know a board above where he's laying and he sort of looks at how they're attached to the wall and it's not a substantial method of of attaching those and so he writes about how how disappointed his family would be if the the person above him were to fall on him <laughs> during the middle of the night. So um, yes, this the sleeping arrangements were um, were were that, and then it's you know it's a sort of a bunch of people in a in a in a room all you know sleeping on board. So you know, I'm sure you know people snoring, and I, I'm sure it wasn't always a, a good night's sleep <laughs> probably probably not yes i'm so i'm other than that how would the conditions have been i mean it's primitive compared to our standards for sure but uh and i've seen i've, I've been up to the the national park there itself you have uh about the a quarter of a canal boat built there as a replica you can get and see which it's plain but it it doesn't seem terrible you know minus it doesn't have air conditioning and heat and everything like we enjoy so well today yes yeah so we do have a replica of a canal boat in our visitor center um showing what you know the 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 crew would have been staying in but yeah so a lot of people that write about traveling on the canal one thing that a lot of people didn't like about it was sharing close space with people that they didn't know for days on end um so canal travel could be quite cramped um so a lot of people um points to pointed that out um so you know things like you know shared space, um, you know, accounts sort of like washing your face off in the morning with some canal water and, you know, the, the shared comb to, you know, for your hair, um, things like that. But yeah, a lot of people, you know, and I think 
because you're traveling with the same people for periods of time, um, we always say that, you know, taverns and, and towns were, were welcome sites on the canal because it was a chance to stretch out a bit, have some space. Um, you know, if you and I are traveling together on the canal, you know, especially at that time, um, course, no TVs and phones and things. So I know as much about what's going on as, as you do. Um, so it's a nice opportunity to catch up on the news of the day, talk to other people, find out what's happening. And also I think sharing, sharing stories, you know, this was a unique system. Most people had never, especially the Portage Railroad, they'd never been on something like that. So, you know, if, if I'm, you know, I haven't been through the Steeple Bend Tunnel yet. I'm heading to Johnstown. You're heading to Holidaysburg. I'm talking to you at the summit. You know, hey, uh, what was it like to go through the Steeple Bend Tunnel? I've never, I've never been through a tunnel before. Um, so just sharing those, those experiences. So, um, you know, I think travel on the Portage Railroad was a, a mixture of excitement and, and, and apprehension. I, I have no doubt. And I, I mentioned the visitor center and I recommend anybody uh, go see that. There'll be a link for it on our website as well. Cause it's, it's a really nice place. There's a lot of room to walk around. So, but that brings us to the next part. Now we've got to the end of the canal. Now we have to start up the mountain on the inclined plains. And there were quite a few of them. I, I forget exactly how many now that there were overall, but there were quite a few inclined plains. Yeah, so there were 10 inclined planes and 11 levels. So the Allegheny Portage Railroad connected um, two canal basins, Holidaysburg and Johnstown. So Allegheny Portage Railroad was about 36 miles. Yeah. And now they just took, if I'm not mistaken, they loaded the canal boats themselves pretty much onto railroad flat cars and they pulled boats and everything up the incline and then and down the other side, correct? Yes, yes. So when you got to the canal basin and you were going to start on the Allegheny Portage Railroad, they had tracks that actually went down into the water and they used something called a, a boat slip, um, just get the boat onto the flatbed cars. They also use stationary, um, stationary steam engines. So you can almost, I guess, compare that to like a, um, how you would get a boat out of the water today, sort of up onto a trailer, kind of, you know, you back the trailer down close to the water and, you know, get the boat up on that. Yeah. So, so yeah, everything that uh, came into the canal basin um, went up over the mountains and then, then back into the water on the other side. Wow. And the, those steam engines, which there's also one of those at the, at the visitor center, they're giant. They are not small. Yes. Yeah. So, for the first year that the Allegheny Portage Railroad opened in 1834, um, they only they didn't use any locomotives. Um, so for the Allegheny Portage Railroad on the inclined planes, 
locomotives didn't have enough power to go up over the mountains like they do today. Um, so you needed those 10 inclined planes. And, and how it worked was you had a stationary steam engine housed in an engine house building at the top of each inclined plane. So there would have been 10 engine house buildings made of wood and housed all of the machinery needed to pull everything up the inclined planes. So for the first year um, that the railroad opens, on the level sections, they just used horses. In 1835, they started the incorporation of steam locomotives on the level section. So on the inclined planes, it's still those stationary engines, but on the levels, it, they're flat. Um, so steam locomotives are able to pull along those sections. So um, it, it wasn't it wasn't everywhere and it wasn't all at once. Um, you know, so you have the Boston locomotive made in Boston um, and, you know, it goes back and forth on one particular level. Then maybe the next year you get another few. So it was a, a slow, slow incorporation. Um, also, the first year that the railroad opened, it was. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, and the, these steam locomotives, I want. When you think about steam locomotives, everybody thinks about the the giants that they have. These weren't big. I mean, they were big compared to, you know, your car, but they were not big. They were not as powerful and they weren't streamlined. They were in a way kind of even ugly looking, but they did the trick. They did do the trick. Um, you know, you're moving at about four miles an hour up the incline planes with the stationary engine and then on the level sections you know 15 miles an hour uh, which of course to us today seems seems slow um but you know 15 miles an hour um Ulysses S. Grant is another famous Allegheny Portage Railroad traveler and he traveled in 1839 um he was 17 years old on his way to West Point, and he said that they were traveling so fast, it was like annihilating space. Um, again, that seems slow to us today, and I actually met a family a few years ago who had an account of ancestors of theirs that traveled on the railroad, and a very similar story. They said that, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but you know, the account was saying about how they were traveling so fast that you couldn't make out the individual trees as you were going past. It was like they all blurred together. So, um, yeah. And, wow. and, and people were excited because it took, you know, six hours or more to go over the Allegheny mountains on the Portage railroad. So, you know, Hey, only six hours to go 36 miles. That's, that's great. That's not bad. I mean, you could be walking it the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And the Portage Railroad only operated during the daylight hours, especially until, you know, the 1850s. But so you had to leave Holidaysburg or Johnstown, you know, around a certain point in the morning to make sure that you made it over the mountains by nightfall. Uh, if not, you you kind of stopped when it got dark and you, know, you, you were there. You were there until it got light again. But they tried to make sure that that didn't happen. And now the how many the hoist engines specifically to hoist the uh the cars and everything up each incline? How many 
how many people were needed to run each one of those engines? So the engines, um, you had an engineer and an assistant engineer um, who ran those. But then at the engine house buildings, you also had um, other workers besides the ones dealing with, you know, maintaining those stationary engines. You had firemen who controlled the boilers, um, shoveled coal. Um, you had folks at the base of the inclined planes that hooked everything up to the hemp rope and then later the wire cable. So um, you had a, a, a few different jobs at the inclined planes. You had uh, laborers as well who, you know, tended to the animals, things like that. So your, your, your higher paying jobs at the engine house were, were your engineer and your assistant engineer. Yeah. Now the burning question is, I think I know, but the, the steam hoist engines for the inclined planes, how did they get them up there to begin with? One piece at a time, basically, and build them on site? Because, like I said, yeah, they would have to be massive. transported up, and yeah, I mean, a lot of that machinery is 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 would have been very would have been very big. So yeah, yeah, I mean, just getting everything there, and you know, I I mean, sort of the sort of different from what you just asked, but it it reminded me of um one of the locomotives that came into a canal basin there in a newspaper account about you know people being there to see it so just to see this system in operation yeah. and and the amazing things that that took place were that yeah, that would be so cool to see because that those those steam hoist engines like the uh the winch drum i mean it's got to be 15 probably feet across that's how big they are. these are massive massive steam engines they're not yeah and, and what we have at the the park that you're referring to is um we call it engine house six exhibit shelter so the original engine house wooden building fell down sometime in the early 1900s and if you walk inside today you can see some of the stone foundation but um a, a local gentleman who lived in Crescent, his name was Fred Conacher. He built all of that to scale based on Sylvester Welch's, um, uh, his writings. He was the engineer for the Allegheny Portage Railroad and it's, it's amazing. It is. Now, um, <laughs> we'll go back, we'll go back to the locomotives too, since we were, we're kind of back and forth, but that's fine. Now, like on the levels with the steam locomotives, how many cars would they typically pull? I'm sure just a couple. Yeah, a lot of it went by weight. Um, so they pulled, you know, probably maximum about 7,000 pounds, 6,500 to, to 7,000. And they, they use some, like, passenger cars as well, I believe. Yes, so they had freight cars and they also had passenger cars. Yeah, so they and, had both. And there, there's another one. We think about the passenger cars that we see now, or or even the old ones like the big Polans. These these were not that. 
Right. It, it, it's interesting because if you look at a photo of a freight car and a passenger car, um, they look very similar, except for the the passenger car has windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, right. Not like your, you know, every person has a seat today. The earliest ones, you know, you like we're facing each other with our backs against the wall. So almost like a trolley, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like a, a seating arrangement. Yeah, as, in terms of like a seating seating arrangement. Yeah, I've I've seen pictures of them. They're they're not like what you'd see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it almost just looks like a a, a box of the window. <laughs> Somebody just took a box car, and what are we doing? Cut some <laughs> windows in it, and put some benches in. We'll be good. So now on the levels where the locomotives ran, did they turn them around? Any? Did they have round tables or anything, or did they just run them? forwards or backwards yeah they did turn arounds they had the um they had y switches and then um then they had the the turnarounds as well and for anybody that wonders what a, a y switch is the easiest way i can describe it is just think about doing a three-point turnaround in your car pull up back up and pull up and go right right <laughs> you're you're going on the the same track Oh. just in the in, in the opposite direction yeah um so now we're along the railroad we have also you mentioned it earlier the staple bend tunnel which if i'm not mistaken is the first railroad tunnel in america yes first one built first railroad tunnel in america there were a few tunnels at that time for canals but this was the first railroad tunnel and people didn't weren't really familiar with with tunnels and they described it as a horizontal well and Sable Bend Tunnel is 901 feet long um so you know earlier when I mentioned you know the excitement and apprehension and you know I imagine you know never experiencing that before you know 901 feet of of darkness so that would have been quite the experience you know the first yeah. first time you go through a tunnel so, and, and that would have been closer to the Johnstown end of where the railroad was. If you were traveling from the canal basin in Johnstown, it was a couple miles until you got to the Staple Bend Tunnel. So it was right at the top of the first inclined plane. Okay. And, and it's a beautiful, the, the portal on it and everything is beautiful. It's it is. It is. About half of the cost to build the Staple Bend Tunnel is actually for, for those portals and the, the, um, the, the ornamentation on the end on on each end and how did that how did you get the name the staple bend tunnel i was curious about that i honestly tried to look it up and could not find anything on why yeah so um it refers to the word staple as a a farm instrument so a, a staple was an apparatus that went around the neck of livestock to help steer them in the right direction and so folks thought that the oxbow or the bend in the river resembled a staple interesting well look yeah. at that there i i didn't even know that and you know thinking about playing name like we have a uh, portage you think about it's the allegheny portage and mm -hmm. anybody that's familiar with the area knows of the town of portage but 
Portage actually means something different here. It's not named after the town. It has an actual description for Portage. Yeah, so you're you're carrying people or goods between between two um, bodies of water, or you know, water on each end, and you're you're going up and over. Right, and in which the town of Portage is was along the railroad and is what just a couple miles from Stapleton Tunnel. It's the same general area. Yeah, so um, it's it's. Not too far um, traveling Allegheny Portage railroad wise. Um, it was what was called the long level, um, which was a little over 13, 13 miles. So um, yeah, from Portage to the Staple Bend Tunnel was was part of the long level. Um, so, you know, it went through where, where Portage is today, but um, the town of Portage with the name of Portage as today um, came a little bit later, but yeah, went right, went right through there. And, and that's a great point because people often ask, you know, in terms of today, you know, where, where did the railroad go? And um, a, a, a portion of it follows, you know, route 53 um, through, you know, through Lily and Portage to Wilmore you know, down to Summerhill, not exactly on 53, yeah. you know, the whole way, but a lot of it, a lot of it would, you know, was where current present day Route 53 is. Yeah. And anybody, you know, knows the, it's Norfolk Southern now that goes through, even a lot of that follows along. It just, they, they shot off to the side through Crescent and with the mainline railroad afterwards around Horseshoe Curve and then eventually put the Portage Railroad out of business basically then when they. Right, right. So, you know, Horseshoe Curve is is complete in 1854. And while the mainline canal was a, a great time reduction in terms of getting across the state, now it can be done in, in one day. So yeah. I often think about the people living here during that time. You won't go from three weeks prior to the opening of the Allegheny Portage Railroad, just because you you can't, you know, go the whole way across until the Portage Railroad's open to, you know, about an average of five days in 1834 and then in 1854 one day. So in about a 20 year time period, you're going from three weeks to one day. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's amazing how fast things changed in terms of, of just, technology in general but but railroad technology right and I think it, it would have been mind-blowing it would have been hard to keep oh my up goodness. with how fast how fast things changed my goodness you know, i can even think about now heck we can just hop on an airplane and go across the country and right less right. time than it took yes. to get over the mountain really yes yes we 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 always found a faster way to get from one place to mm. another so now we find we found our way over so we are headed down, you know, into Johnstown, which Johnstown became eventually a giant steel city. But how big was Johnstown about the time? I, I don't believe it was very, it was a very big city. It wasn't very big. Uh, it definitely, Johnstown and Holidaysburg both um, had a population boom with the canal basins there. Um, you have a lot of, um, 
canal buildings and, and, and lots of, lots of different employment opportunities. So yeah, Johnstown started to, to see some significant growth with the mainline canal. And yeah, then like you mentioned, I mean, steel industry, I mean, it just, just grew and grew and grew and yeah. Which we're getting, we're going to hear more about that in the, in the second part, when we talk mm -hmm. more about Johnstown itself, but, and then from Johnstown, it was all canal to Pittsburgh. Right. Yes. Yes. Once you got into the water in Johnstown, you um, travel by canal from there to Pittsburgh. Now, what they had some problems in Johnstown with the sufficient water flow, especially, which they still do. It tend, they tend to get very shallow. So what did what did the railroad do to help raise the water level, especially in the summer when, when it was much lower? So the state of Pennsylvania built what they called the Western Reservoir um, near the town of, of present day South Fork. And as you had mentioned, yes, during the summertime, there wasn't, always enough water in the canal basin to float the canal boats and um just gonna backtrack for one second and just mention that the mainline canal was a seasonal operation so every year at some point it would close down um and you know in the allegheny mountains sometimes you know it winter starts early and can last longer so you know when you looked ahead at the weather and it looked like the canals could freeze they made the decision to close down and once you made that decision that was it until the spring thaw so for many months every year you know operation ceased um so you also didn't then want to have a delay in travel in the summertime you know you, you you have a certain operating window where the weather is nice and so they built the western reservoir to supply water to the canal basin in johnstown they also had an eastern reservoir in the eastern side of the allegheny mountains that would supply water to holidaysburg's canal basin so that definitely helped to keep operations continuing throughout the the, the dry summer months so with the Western Reservoir, um, the water would follow um, the Little Connemaw River uh, from South Fork to Johnstown. Right. So I was just going to, that was going to be towards my second question, because you, you can't change geography much. When you're approaching the mountain going either way, you're going up river and they're getting inherently smaller as you get there. That's just. That's just the nature of it. And I didn't know they had a reservoir on the other side. Yes, yes. They had they had one one on each side. Is it still there as well on the holidays Burke side? I don't believe so. Okay. I don't I honestly didn't even didn't even pop into my head to look for that. I'm just familiar with what we had at South Fork and I never thought of it because if you if you think about it too, it's an interesting fact that mountain is actually the part of the eastern continental divide, because everything on the western side flows to the Mississippi and the Gulf. Everything on the other side goes to the Atlantic, usually through the uh, Chesapeake Bay too. Yeah, the, the, the divide is, is definitely isn't isn't very far, very far from here. 
in fact, I remember reading somewhere that there was was or used to be houses on top of the mountain that one side of the roof went mm. to the Atlantic, the other side of the roof went to the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, I, I read that <laughs> somewhere as well. Yes. And now how how big was the reservoir? We know it is or knew it is Lake Connemal. Yeah, it had many different names. Um, the state called it the Western Reservoir or the Three Mile Dam. So it was about two, a little over two and a half miles long. Um, across widest spot was about a mile. Um, if you were to walk, you know, from the top of the dam the whole way around back to the same spot, it was about about five miles. So it covered wow. about four hundred and fifty acres. Wow, that's that's uh, quite one large. which that that's another one. We're gonna get into that one here in the in the second part of this, which I want I want everybody to know. We're doing this in two parts. They're gonna be, as far as I'm concerned, two ep two separate episodes, but they're both related to each other. So I that's gonna bring us to about the end of our part about the Allegheny Portage Railroad. Uh, before we go, what can anybody do to help the National Parks as far as volunteering or how they can do that? What do you have for that? Yeah, uh, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, we um, we do have a volunteer program. Um, we welcome anyone who would like to volunteer for Allegheny Portage Railroad National Historic Site or Johnstown Flood National Memorial. Um, many different volunteer opportunities um, from, you know, talking to visitors inside the visitor center um, or in one of our park buildings or at Allegheny Portage Railroad, our volunteer coordinator last year started a trail crew. Um, so if you like being outside, um, working on the trail, um, they helped on the incline six to 10 trail last year. They blazed the trail, um, you know, trash removal, um, cutting the trail back in places, opening the trail up, you know, with vegetation growth. Um, so we are currently recruiting volunteers to join our trail crew for this season. So they'll be again working on the incline six to 10 trail, but also on the Staple Bend Tunnel Trail as well. So um, if you're looking for more information on how to volunteer, um, you can um, visit our volunteer page on, on either website. It has um, a link to join the volunteer trail crew, other volunteer opportunities. So any, um, there'll be some upcoming ones that we'll be posting on there, some more ones too. So that's the best way to see um, current opportunities. So um, we, we definitely welcome any volunteers and, you know, volunteers are, are a huge part of, of what we're able to do here. So they, they definitely help out tremendously. And, and that's great because they, it's so important that we save save a hold of all this history that's why i wanted to start doing this thanks to everybody for listening uh remember if you like the show you can share it with all your friends we can be found on all the major podcast players uh, we can be found on facebook and you can also find us and catch the show notes at historyfromthehomestead.com <laughs>